And if you've brought your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I'm going to ask you to open to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 9 down through verse 15 and finishing the section that we began two weeks ago, um, dealing with the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, sometimes referred to as the Disciples' Prayer. Of this prayer, Charles Spurgeon said these words. He said, Our Lord, having warned us against certain vices which had connected themselves with prayer as to its place and spirit, see verses um, 5 down through verse 8, now gives us a model upon which to fashion our prayers. And this idea of this prayer being a model is important. It's not... It's not that this prayer cannot be recited, as we're going to see and talk about, but it's a model through which we can learn and by which the Lord will grow us if if we are consistent in the application of this model of prayer. He says, the model upon which to fashion our prayers. This delightful prayer is short, devout, and full of meaning. Now, notice what uh, Arthur Pink says about this prayer. This is really... um, I think this might open some of our eyes just a bit, might take us back to a place that we're maybe not as comfortable with being in the Bible church, but he said this, we would note the words with which Christ prefaced it, after this manner, therefore pray ye, it's the ye part that might get us off guard, that, that old English that we rarely or seldom use anymore, I'm just, I'm just messing with David here, my friend. Um, Pray ye, it says, this intimates that the Lord Jesus was supplying a pattern after which our prayers are to be modeled. This modeled prayer is also found in condensed form in Luke's gospel, and there it is introduced by the words, why ye pray, say. This makes it clear that this prayer is not only a pattern to be copied, but also a form to be used verbatim. The plural pronouns therein suggesting that it is appropriate for collective use when the saints assemble together. True, we need to be much on our guard against repeating it by rote, coldly and mechanically, and earnestly seek grace to recite it reverently and feelingly. In our judgment, once every public service, and always at family worship. Now, again, this isn't something that we practice at Jinx Bible Church, but as I was reading uh, a multitude of commentaries on this, this one strummed a chord, and I thought there is a sense in which corporately, if the church were seeking uh, through grace to recite this reverently and feelingly from the heart, that there are some some profound truths embedded within what Jesus is teaching us through this modeled prayer that just reciting it doesn't have to be wrote. It can be very meaningful indeed. And in particular, it would seem as such to the church when gathered. And as we're going to see from verses 9 down through verse 15 today, Jesus, in teaching his disciples how to pray, will show us nine ways that God uses prayer to grow us spiritually and thus progressively more conformed into his image, the image of Christ. And we looked at these two weeks ago when we were together the last time, but let me show you these by way of reminder. These nine things, that prayer will strengthen our faith and family identity, 
our worship, our expectation of his coming kingdom, submission to the Lord, our daily dependence for physical needs, uh, our confession, our need of daily cleansing, seven, forgiveness, and our need to be willing and need to be forgiving of others, daily, number eight, daily dependence for practical holiness, and lastly, acknowledgement of his sovereign rule in and over our lives and over the world. So we've got um, nine things that we can be thinking about as we study this passage together, nine ways in which the Lord can use prayer to grow us spiritually. And it seems that perhaps the, uh, the secret to greater conformity into the image of Christ is found in that secret place in prayer, quietly, before God. Seems a lot of time we talk about we want to grow, we want to grow spiritually, and it seems that Jesus, in giving us a pattern of how to pray, has shown us a secret by which we can indeed grow in the image and likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't this beautiful? So church, if you want to grow, discipline yourself for the purpose of prayer. Get alone with God. Think about this pattern, this model that he's left us, these, these things by which as we are praying to God, areas by which we can be growing in grace. Amen? Look at verse 9. Prayer will strengthen our faith and family identity, number one. Pray then in this way. Now, this is a little intro into these into this aspect of um, this model prayer that Jesus has left us. David Turner, in his commentary, captured well the sense of what Jesus means, it seems, by telling his disciples to pray then in this way, pray this particular way. Notice what he said. He said, uh, the Lord's prayer is not a mantra to be repeated mindlessly or superstitiously, but an example of a prayer informed by kingdom values, the kind of prayer a disciple should pray. And it's also important to remember that Jesus' disciples didn't ask Jesus to teach them a specific prayer, like, Lord, teach us a specific prayer, but how to pray. And we see this in Luke 11, 1, whenever he said, whenever it was written, when the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught, also taught his disciples to pray. So they were knowing not how they should pray, and so they looked to the Lord for a way to pray. Lord, teach us. Teach us to pray. And I think that that's a good prayer that we could go to the Lord with as well. Um, in uh, 30 years of ministry, almost 30 years, uh, there's in a multitude of counseling sessions, one of the things that I determine and, and see over and over again is just the lack of prayer or the weakness of prayer or the inability to find ourselves still before God and praying. And so it's seems to be there's a correlation between weakness of our spiritual life, weakness in our lives in general to fight the spiritual fight, the good fight of faith, to mortify our flesh, in that we seldomly can humble ourselves before God long enough to learn the discipline of prayer and the things that come to us by means of praying, and in particular praying the way that Jesus is going to be teaching us how to pray. Look at verse 9 again. Pray then this way, our Father who is in heaven, 
How do we know there's a God in heaven? Pray then this way. Our Father who art in heaven, how do we know that there's a God in heaven? I think the easiest way to describe it is we call it faith. Faith. Hebrews 11, verse 1 tells us, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11, 3 tells us, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. It's by faith. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Hebrews eleven six tells us, Without faith... It's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Ephesians 2 tells us that it's by grace that we've been saved through what? Faith. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. So the very fact that we get away from our busy schedule on a, day, on our, on a daily basis perhaps, should be, for some alone time with God for the purpose of talking to God whom you have not seen is an exercise of faith. And the last time I checked, anytime you exercise something, what are you doing? You're strengthening the very thing you're exercising. And you're building endurance in the very thing and strengthening the thing in which you exercise. And it seems very clear here that the discipline of prayer will indeed strengthen your faith. Keep looking. Notice what else the verse tells us. What do we see? Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, and I've highlighted the aspect of our Father. Family identity. Jesus teaches us to identify with the only true and living God as our Father. How astounding is that? Well, we don't often think of it as being astounding at all because it's familiar to us. Listen to this. It's a bit of a lengthy quote from R. Kent Hughes from his commentary. But listen to this. I think you might find this interesting. R. Kent Hughes says, That God should be personally addressed as Father may not seem out of the ordinary to those of us who frequent the church and regularly repeat the Lord's Prayer, but it was absolutely revolutionary in Jesus' day. The writers of the Old Testament certainly believed in the fatherhood of God, but they saw it mainly in terms of a sovereign creator father. In fact, God is only referred to as Father 14 times in the Old Testament's 39 books, and even then rather impersonally. In those 14 occurrences of Father, the term was always used with reference to the nation, not to individuals. You can search from Genesis to Malachi, and you will not find one individual speaking of God as Father. But when Jesus came on the scene, he addressed God only as Father. He never used anything else. All his prayers addressed God as Father. The Gospels, just four books, record his using Father more than 60 times in reference to God. So striking is this that there are scholars who maintain that this word Father dramatically summarizes the difference between the Old and New Testaments. No one had ever in the entire history of Israel spoken 
and prayed like Jesus. No one. So again, now how astounding is that? We tend to take this for granted because we've been in the church and around the church. But clearly, a distinction from the old covenant to the new covenant. Not only only is Christ the new mediator between God and man as Moses represented God before men and the law, Jesus has opened a way and provided a way of total and complete access to the Father before the throne of grace in a personal way whereby we can cry out, Abba, Father, and come to God intimately. Isn't that good news? And to know that our God, the Father, he loves us, his children, with an everlasting love. He desires for us to come to him in prayer The Word of God tells us that He chose us from before the foundations of the world, things that are so far beyond our intellect and our finite knowledge, but yet it says it. And when we think about that, that how could He have chosen me? I was a rebel with no cause. I I loved Him not. I loved myself all the more, but yet He showed me mercy. And He opened spiritually blind eyes to see Him. This is the Father who bids us to come and to pray and How great a privilege is it, church, for us as believers to be able to pray to our Father? Being a dad, you kind of have an understanding of that when you have the opportunity to have conversation with your kids. When they're little, they're always there. When they get older, they're not. And it becomes more of the relational aspect. Is the relationship there? And we as God's kids adopted into his family are here cultivating an ongoing progressive relationship with our Father. And when we pray, not should we or when we do, but when we pray, we come to him as a loving Father who adores his kids and wants to see us grow in grace. Prayer will strengthen our faith, and it will strengthen our family identity. Perhaps there's many Christians today suffering from a from an identity crisis, trying to identify themselves with so many patterns and structures within this world rather than their Father, God. May this never be true of us, church. And secondly, prayer will also strengthen our worship. Keep looking at verse 9. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. When you hallow the name of God, in essence, what we are doing is we are offering worship to this God. We're making a statement of fact that God is to be reverenced as holy. The Greek word here for hallowed is this Greek word hagiazo, to feel reverence for or honor as holy. To hallow, to regard as holy, to honor as holy. And this is from Loanida, just defining this word, hallowed be your name. Lord, hallowed be your name. To hallow the name of God is to regard him as completely other, completely separate, completely holy. It's to offer worship to the only true and living God, our Father who is indeed in heaven. We're recognizing his character, his attributes, his honor, his worth, his adoration, every other adjective that you could perhaps think of that would describe God's otherness, his absolute holiness, 
is what we're doing when we hallow the name of God. When we come to God in prayer, we are learning to deepen our worship. We're learning to understand that our God is truly holy, 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 and we think of this fact, and we recognize this, and we say these things to him. There is no one like you, O God. But don't miss this from Loanida about this activity. Look at this definition again. See what it says? Hallowing the name of God isn't just a matter of the mind, though it is certainly that. Hallowing the name of God is also a matter of the heart. Notice, to feel reverence. This isn't just a a mind dump. This isn't just a, well, he's the sovereign, so I bend my knee. No, this is coming from a place deep within our hearts. So when we go to God in prayer, we're feeling, we're feeling the reverence for God. It's something that we feel within our person, and so we speak it through our mouths. It's in our heart, it's in our soul, and we confirm these truths to God. He is the only true God of heaven and earth. There is no other God like him, and that's why when we sing worship songs on the Lord's Day collectively together, it is to be a redounding of the greatness of God from the heart, not just the repetition of words off the lips. Amen? Spurgeon captures this very well. Notice he said, He is the most holy of all kings. His throne is a great white throne, unspotted and clear as crystal. The stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man that is a worm. With what lowliness should you draw near to him? Familiarity there may be, but let it not be unhallowed. Boldness there should be, but let it not be impertinent. You are still on earth, and he in heaven. You are still a worm of the dust, and he the everlasting. Before the mountains were brought forth, he was God. And if all created things should pass away, yet he would still be the same. I am afraid we do not bow as we should before the eternal majesty. Let us ask the Spirit of God to put us in a right frame that every one of our prayers may be a reverential approach to the infinite majesty above. Church, God's name is to be hallowed, and prayer is a place that we can hallow the name of God and humble our souls before him and feel his love and know of his greatness And understand that he is the thrice holy God. He is holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. Prayer can strengthen our faith, family identity, and it will strengthen our worship. And it will also strengthen our expectation of his coming kingdom. Look at verse 10. It says in verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, the long expectation, the longing expectation of the Lord's people is for what? It's for his kingdom to come, right? We don't simply go to God in prayer and tell him how awesome he is, uh, but that yet we, we don't want to be with him. We go to God and we're telling him how hallowed he is and how other he is, and that like Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist preached the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We desire for the kingdom of heaven to actually come and to be at hand so that we can enjoy that kingdom in his presence forever. Prayer is a place where we can learn 
to have our, our hearts cultivated to the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 6, a little bit later, in 6.33, we're told there that we're to seek first his kingdom, first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his what? His kingdom. Prayer will strengthen our expectation of his coming kingdom. As David shows us in Psalm 42, 1, as a deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. Thy kingdom come. When we go to God in prayer, it will strengthen our faith, our family identity, our worship, and our expectation of his coming kingdom. Amen? Fourthly, prayer will strengthen our submission, and I should insert glad submission to the Lord. Keep looking at verse 10. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, prayer is always an act of submission, isn't it? It's never us going to God telling him what he must do on our behalf. Instead, it's our opportunity to go to the one who loves us passionately and to cast our cares on him and to say, but Lord, not my will be done, Thy will be done, knowing that his will is that which is good, it is acceptable, it is perfect on earth as it will be in heaven. Many of you, I'm sure, have had the unpleasant experience of driving on the uh, very um, difficult and pothole-filled roads of Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? Have you ever had to have your car aligned more than once? You think you might could do it monthly. Just drive up 75, go into double shot. You're going to hit so many messed up spots. You try to you swerve over a little bit, and you're halfway off the road so that your one tire goes up the middle where all the oil drippings are, and your other wheel's off the edge so that you're not just beating your shock and suspension into smithereens and getting your car back out of alignment, right? Let go of the wheel, and all of a sudden you're veering off the side of the road. And it seems that a lot of our Christian lives could be analogous to cars that are out of alignment. And that the lack of prayer is akin to hitting potholes in this proverbial culture in which we live. And the more potholes that we hit in our lives in this proverbial world in which we live without going to God and realigning our way. And see, that's one of the beautiful things of prayer. It brings about a glad submission, a realignment to the fact that it's thy will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. Your will, not my will. But when we put prayer aside and we think that we can just make life live apart from solitude with God, we run into potholes in life. And next thing you know, our lives are veering off. We all, we all, like sheep, oftentimes go astray, each to his own way. And prayer is a beautiful realignment of the soul. It strengthens our glad submission to the Lord. We're, we're reminded every time we go to God in prayer and we're pouring our hearts out to him, and we're sensing we have desires that this world we know can never please and never ultimately fulfill, we're asking him, thy will be done in my life. I don't need that stuff. I just need more of you. I need your kingdom in my life. And Thy kingdom come, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a great place to find that realignment of the soul, of finding a glad submission. Those 
four beautiful yet simple words, thy will be done. Prayer will strengthen that, church. Your faith, your family identity, your worship, expectation of his coming, coming kingdom, and it can bring a realignment for your soul to the submission, the glad submission of the Lord from which human flourishing is only found. Amen? Fifthly, uh, it will also strengthen your daily dependence on the Lord for our physical needs. Look at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. These first two words, give us, is the kind of language someone uses when they realize that they are in need. Which is one of the reasons why this prayer is sometimes difficult for us wealthy Americans to grasp. After all, we are America, we are America, what? Cans. Americans. We can do things. We pick ourselves up from our bootstraps. We love the song, Let Freedom Ring. And while all that's true and it's a good spirit to have, we must never allow that American spirit to keep us from both recognizing and acknowledging that God is our king, that he is king of kings. And not only are we to have this glad submission to him, he wants us always mindful and thankful and to be living in a constant state of dependence on him in light of his benevolent kindness towards us to give us exactly what we need daily. Listen, I may have, I think we just picked up groceries last night. We have a a lot of bread in the cupboard right now, probably a couple of loaves and some other bread, right? So give us this day our daily bread. And so sometimes we, we look in the fridge and we see so much so much, we fail to say, thank you, God, for giving us this day our daily bread. Everything that is in that cupboard comes from your hand. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless us, your people, our church, our friends. Would you continue to bless us with our daily bread, Lord, and to keep us dependent on recognizing that our daily dependence is on you and not in mammon. Prayer Church can do this for us. It'll strengthen our faith, our family identity, our worship, our expectation of his coming kingdom, a submission to him, and a recognition of a daily dependence on him for physical needs. Never take for granted the blessing of God in your lives. Always recognize that. Lord, give us this day what we need. We know that in the Spirit you've given us everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus, but Lord, our physical dependence is on you completely. Thank you. And sixth, prayer will also strengthen our confession, a need of daily cleansing. Look at verse 12. And forgive us our debts. Forgive us. These two words, forgive us, is the kind of language someone uses when they realize they've transgressed against this holy God, against his standards, against his word. How many of you, by a quick show of hands, have ever memorized 1 John 1, 9? And why would you have memorized 1 John 1.9? 1, well, it's because you recognize your need for daily cleansing. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This isn't the kind of 
forgiveness of sin that leads one unto salvation. This is the kind of forgiveness that's needed for our sins on a daily basis to cleanse us from the sins that we commit here uh, on a daily basis. The unrighteousness that we commit, we need to be mindful of that. And when we go to God in prayer, there's no better context in which to tell the Lord than when we are with him in prayer. And it's in that context we see here in 1 John and we also see in Matthew 6, 12. This kind of prayer that the Lord calls us to is something we need not take for granted. But it's also something that we need to take seriously. Meaning, when we ask the Lord to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, know that he does and that he will. Or that he will and that he does. We don't need to kind of use carry our sin around almost like Linus's blanket and always be somehow feeling like we're a little bit less than because we just don't measure up. Well, I've, I've sinned in this capacity or that capacity. If you've taken it to the Lord for daily cleansing, you've asked him to forgive you for your sins, know that he does, that he has completely, and be willing to move on with that. Otherwise, how are we going to find... I don't have that verse. That's why it's not highlighted here. Okay. Otherwise, we're not going to recognize that the promise that we see in Philippians 1.6 that he who began the good work in you will perfect it if we're always doubting the cleansing that we get of daily forgiveness of sins. We need to be mindful of that, church, and prayer is the place that we do that. Prayer will strengthen our what? Our faith, our family identity, our worship, expectation of his coming kingdom, our submission to him, our daily dependence for our physical needs, and it's a place where we can have a daily confession, of a daily cleansing for sins against the only God of heaven and earth, our Father who is in heaven. Seven, prayer will strengthen our forgiveness of others. Look at the end of verse 12. As we have also forgiven our debtors. There is a time and a place to recognize that we have been forgiven much, and thus our need to also forgive others who have sinned against us. In the great love chapter in 1 Corinthians 12, it says that love keeps no records of wrongs. And one of my favorite passages teaching us this important reality is in Ephesians 4.32. And it says that we are to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Isn't that beautiful? Without question, we are going to sin against God from time to time, which is why Jesus teaches us in the first half of verse 12 our need for daily cleansing. But in the process of sinning against God, oftentimes we find ourselves sinning against one another. So when someone has wronged you personally, Jesus calls us to forgive each other for those wrongs, just as God in Christ Jesus has also forgiven you. So when I remind you, um, to what degree has God forgiven you, you would say what? Completely. That's right. Jeremiah 31, 34, they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, he, he who has forgiven much loves much. 
And when you remember the degree of your depravity from which the Lord God saved you, it ought to make your forgiveness of others come so quickly. It really should. There's no room for a a, a root of bitterness. That, That comes from the tempter, the devil, flaming darts, telling us we should hold grudges against people for their sinning against us. Absolutely not. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's how God forgave us in Christ Jesus. He said, I will remember no more as far as the east is from the west. So far has God removed our sins from us. And this, brothers and sisters, is how we forgive each other. And when we go to God in prayer, it's something that we can be strengthened in and recognition that we need to do. Easier said than done. Easier said than done. I had the glorious opportunity of holding a grudge against said individual, remains nameless, for years, and had every right to do so. And there was a time when I probably struggled with it a little bit more than others. And in prayer, as oftentimes reminded, you need not do that. Easier said than done. And the Lord graciously helped that realignment of my soul that, yeah, that's right. Just move on. He's a brother. We're going to be in heaven together. And then, I don't know, it's maybe five years later, he came up to me. We were at the same occasion together. He just approached me. He said, hey, can't go into all the details. We lived them together. I sinned against you, and I'm asking you to forgive me. Caught me completely off guard. And thankfully, in my heart, I had already done so. And I told him that he was forgiven and that I loved him as a brother. But God, we need to do the right things for the right reasons, and prayer is a place where we can find that blessed realignment of our hearts to do things that are sometimes harder done than said. Prayer will strengthen our faith and family identity, worship, expectation of his coming kingdom, submission to the Lord, daily dependence for physical needs, confession, our need for daily cleansing, and forgiveness of others. Perhaps you have some people in your lives that you need to forgive today. Let me encourage you to go before the Lord in prayer. Ask him for that blessed and beautiful realignment of the soul and find that place where you can forgive others because as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus completely, so we must do with others. And eighthly, prayer will strengthen our daily dependence on God for practical holiness. Look at verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. James 1.13 tells us that God does not tempt anyone to sin, but that We each are led astray by our own fleshly desires. Asking God to not lead us into temptation is asking God to keep our feet on straight paths. Keep us aligned, Lord, in his paths. Paths of righteousness. Because as we all know, Satan, as the father of lies, is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy from our lives through paths of temptation that make false promises of pleasure and joy almost not almost, every single day. 
Knowing this to be true, the child of God pleads with God to keep them from the danger of sin altogether. We need not go out from our homes into the world, into the culture that is full of doctrines of demons without saying, Lord, lead us not into temptation today. Deliver us from the evil one. He's out there, he's lurking, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy in every relationship that I cherish and hold true. He wants to end it. And he wants to get a root of bitterness in my heart because they accidentally said some words that might have been a little harsh or a little bit rude or whatever it may have been. Lord, let me not, let me not fall prey to that. Let me love like you love. Deliver us from temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also provide a way of escape also. Isn't that beautiful? Will provide the way of escape also. And he finishes it by saying, so that you will be able to endure it. Every moment of every day, we have an opportunity of taking God's way of escape from the temptations of sin. He will deliver us from evil to the degree that we are willing to take his way of escape. You might look at it this way. He makes the way, we move the feet. Did you catch that? He makes the way, we move our feet. Some of us think, well... Lord, both make the way and make my feet move. He's like, no, no, you move your feet. Come on. I just want you to miraculously grab my feet and start making them move mechanically. And he's like, oh, no, no. I want from your heart, I want you to love me to the point where you're like, Lord, I see you've made the way. You've shown me how I need to, to take care of this or that or the other. And I am going to move my will in that direction and I'm telling you, this is where prayer becomes a place of solace. This is why if we want to grow in Christ Jesus, if you want to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ without a prayer life, forget it. It's not going to happen. The degree to which you pray will be the degree to which you are growing in grace. Because we do not do this by our own strength and our own might. But Pastor, you just said you've got to move your feet. That's right, you move your feet. But where do you get that blessed realignment of the Holy Spirit that's in you? It's when you get quiet before God and you say, I'm not God. You are, hallowed be your name. I only want your kingdom, God. You and you alone, this is all I want. And we pray in this way and it leads us to a place where we're saying, deliver us from evil. And we're saying, I see the way of escape, Lord. Give me the strength to do that. Give me the strength to put that down. Give me the strength to bash that thing to smithereens if that's what it takes to, to have victory and you come up out of that place of prayer with some strength that you didn't know you have and you move your feet to the glory of God. He makes the way we move our feet. Amen, church? These are the eight things we just read. I'm not going to repeat them again, but this is how prayer will strengthen us in our walk with the Lord and lastly, number nine, prayer will strengthen our acknowledgement of God's sovereign rule over everything. Look at the end of verse 13. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Whose? 
Our fathers, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let it be so. Let it be so. We are simply stating facts about who God is. It's your kingdom that's coming. It's all of your power, and it's all for your glory. It's none of my glory. It's none of my power. It's not my kingdom. It's all of you. Let it be so in my life. Let this be true, Lord, in my life forever and ever this day. Lord, I need need you to help me to live in this, this blessed, glad realignment to a glad submission of your way. Today, Lord, I want to have success to the glory of your name. It's your power. It's your glory. It's your coming kingdom forever and ever. Amen. I hope, church, that you're seeing that um, far more than just a prayer that we can repeat. I remember um, all through high school at Duncanville High School in Duncanville, Texas, um, before every game. Every, it's amazing. I never really thought about it while we were doing it. Before every basketball game, the, the guys would gather up. We'd all drop an arm in, and we would repeat the Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let kingdom come, that will be done at this end of heaven. And here are all these unbelieving kids, probably I was at least, just recanting the Our Father. And we won a lot of games, so I guess it was maybe viewed as like a rabbit's foot. I don't know. But for some reason, we did that before every game. Never really thought about it. It was just the repetition of words. But I'm hoping that you can see that if you will take this model prayer that Jesus has given us on how to pray, teaching us how to pray, and we look at the particular parts along the way that we see so much more than just words that can be recited, but we see how God is wanting to grow us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ for his namesake, for his coming kingdom, so that his glory looks powerful through our lives. And by the way, what do we know about our lives in view of Ephesians chapter 3? This beautiful thing of the gospel Just read Ephesians 3. It seems that the angelic realm is peering into the church and the manifold wisdom of God is now being made known through the church. Who's the church? You are. How is the entire angelic realm learning of the manifold wisdom of God through the church? I don't know exactly, but I'm taking a very simplistic Occam's razor approach to that passage, and it seems that the angelic realm looks into the church, that's you in your lives, and it sees the power of God alive in you, causing you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they're saying, wow, that grace is truly, truly amazing. And prayer will teach us how to live said life unto the glory of God. You want to, go, you want to grow, church? I want to grow. Man, this week I've been just, <laughs> this word has been like a rasping on my soul. Saying, come closer in, Ben. Come closer in. No more of my goodness. No more of my heart from my word because I love you so. He indeed is our Father. Let's go to Him, church, in prayer. Let's pray.